What's up, guys? Welcome back to the MMA meeting. Let's talk with the Weasel Podcast, where we talk all things MMA. And I hope you guys are having an amazing day. Now, a lot has been going on. A lot has gone on, especially after last week's fight night card. I mean, where do we go here now? So I talked about in my reaction video what Hamza Shemaev did where he goes next, Colby Covington, all that stuff, but I thought about it a little bit more. First off, about Hamza Shemaev. So, we all know he stole the night. Well, at least partially until the post-fight interviews happened, where Colby just took over even mainstream sports media with his controversial statements after the fight. But, man, we gotta talk about Hamza Shemaev first. Wow, I'm still shocked by what he did. We all know he knocked out Jeremy Oshar in 17 seconds, spectacular fashion, 100% accuracy, landed three strikes on an unconscious Mearshart. So it was a 4-0 strike differential against Mearshart. And that totals up in the UFC, 196 strikes to two. He's only been hit twice, which is still insane. I don't know any other fighter that has ever competed in the UFC who has accomplished something like that. And if you talk about significant strikes, he's landed 87 and he's only been hit with one significant strike. That was against John Phillips in his UFC debut. I mean, when we talk about Habib Nurmagomedov, we talk about, you know, who's the guy that took a round from him, right? Who's the guy that beat him in a round? And that was Conor McGregor. When we talk about Hamza Shemaev right now, it's like, who can hit him? Who can even touch him? That is crazy, man. That is insane to talk about. I understand he just started. He just started. I mean, he's three fights deep in the UFC. 9-0 professional, 26 years old. He has so much more to grow, so many more opponents to fight. And we're already talking about him fighting the champ. And we're already talking about fighting Colby Covington and Leon Edwards. And Damian Maia is supposedly going to be his opponent that the UFC wants. And frankly, everybody believes he'll beat Damian Maia, which I do as well. It's a simple tactic. I mean, not a sprawling brawl necessarily, but stop the takedowns with his superior wrestling. He's a much better wrestler than Damian Maia is. He's a big guy for the welterweight division as as well and then just knock him out with his superior power on the feet as well as being a little bit more technical than Damian Maia who's not the most technical guy doesn't have the best takedowns doesn't have the best means because of all that to defeat someone like Shemaev or someone with the style that Shemaev has presented but he's a 70-er knocking out 85ers like that he's always having the option of going up to 185 in the future or even now in the present he can always switch weight classes and we love that that is why the fans love this guy whether you like his trash talk which he does pretty well I mean I'm gonna feel bad for Damian Maya because everyone loves Damian Maya such a nice guy he even says he doesn't want to hurt his opponents he just wants to choke them out they both return home healthy both get their money all that stuff he's such a good person in the UFC but when he goes up against the villain that is Shemaev who talks trash like he's gonna smash everybody all this stuff the guy can talk some trash the guy has a mouth on him it's gonna be tough for someone like Maya man it's gonna be really tough for him to get by Shemaev and that's the thing I'm talking about man we love this guy because he's gonna fight everybody it's almost like what was happening with Conor McGregor when he was coming up in the featherweight division he wanted to fight everybody when that goes away when you stop going by that principle and you stop fighting everybody and you just fighting once or twice a year taking these money fights rather than just beating everybody in the entire division and you know going through a meritocracy of a system people tend to turn their back on you right Hamza Shemaev has fought three times in like a two-month span three times that's more than champions fight a year and he's done that in two months and if it was up to him, he would already had like five or even seven fights within two months. He could have fought Damian Maya right after that fight. He could have fought again. And the shocking thing about Shemaev is that doesn't really compare to some of the other prospects that look pretty scary, look pretty problematic for the contenders of the division is everybody is calling him out, right? When you look at Zabit and you look at some of these other contenders before like uh, Ryan Hall and Leon Edwards and even Kamar Usman when he was on his way up. Nobody wanted to fight them. Nobody was calling their name out. Everybody is calling out Shemaev. From middleweight to welterweight, even Israel Adesanya is talking about him. 
You know, there's so many fighters that want to fight this guy because they know he's actually a big name now, right? He's actually gained this popularity. He's growing at such a rapid pace. It's insane. We don't even know who this guy was two months ago. And already he's like the talk of the town. He's the hottest prospect in the UFC and potentially could be the biggest star with a couple more wins in the welterweight division. If he becomes the champ, and dominates everybody like this, including Kamaru Usman. I mean, this guy's going to be huge, man. He's going to be a huge athlete that a lot of people around the world is going to know about. And that's so exciting. And that's why so many people back him up. I back him up as well. I mean, Daniel Cormier's talking about he's driving the hype train. I'm first row passenger. I'm right there behind Cormier. Whoever wants to jump on, it's a very big and long train. The guy is so impressive, man. And I know the UFC's talking about putting him up against someone else before Damian Maya. And I wonder what that's going to be. Mike Perry comes to mind, obviously. Mike Perry's been calling him out. It would be an interesting fight. I do think Shemaev is going to beat him, though. I think he's also going to beat Damian Maya. I think Shemaev's skill level at the moment is a top seven welterweight. And now let's talk about Colby Covington. So Colby defeated Tyron Woodley, dominant fashion. Tyron has not lost 14 rounds in a row officially. And people are still giving Tyron Woodley that excuse that he's not the same fighter. He's not aggressive like he used to, even though that's not a real thing. He was never aggressive as a fighter. I know Erhawani has been saying it all over the place. And this is just not a true thing. It's not accurate. He's never had that style. I talked about my reaction video. Only in two fights has he ever shown to be somewhat aggressive with some initial explosion or blitz to finish off the opponent. Jay Haran and Robbie Lawler. Lawler allowed Tarwindy to be aggressive on him. He gave him ground to cover and ground to pressure Lawler backwards. I don't know exactly why Lawler did that, but then Woodley was able to take advantage, take control of the cage, and with that, able to eventually blitz down and knock out Robbie Lawler. In every single fight, you can look back seven years, Woodley rarely ever has shown this. And he's lost fights in the past because of this exact same style, because of this exact same tentativeness or hesitation in the fight. And when people do give Tyron Woodley this kind of excuse, it takes away what Colby Covington did. And that's not fair at all. Colby put on an amazing performance. It takes away even what Usman and Burns did. And they put amazing performances on Woodley as well. The fact is, Woodley has not declined that much. If he's declined, it's very minuscule. He's fought the same way his entire career. And I don't see a drastic decline in his skills or drastic decline in anything. To be honest, some people say uh, he's not showing desperation to get the fight back and try to win by some big knockout. But again, he's never shown that before. This narrative came right when Kamar Usman beat him. But people were praising Woodley when he defeated Darren Till. And that was only a few months before. So did he completely just lose everything within a few months? He went from the best welterweight on the planet to he's a shell of his former self within like three, four, or what, five months? That doesn't make any sense. So in reality, Colby put on an amazing performance and won the fight clear cut. Besides with the rib injury, which is a little bit weird, I still don't know exactly why that happened to Tyron Woodley. Like what made him bust his rib like that? The x-rays came out. It was a legitimate rib injury and it just broke in half. It's weird. I don't know exactly what happened there. But the talk after is probably what stole the night. After what Hamza did, Colby's interviews and his trash talk just put everything ablaze. Everybody's talking about him from mainstream sports media to politicians, to other big athletes around the world, to sponsors even addressing his statements. The guy became the main focus of sports that night and like the next two days after. And what does this show? He got exactly what he wanted. And this proves his character works. 
100%. Of course, you have to win fights as well, which he is just an amazing fighter. Nobody could deny that at this point, even though some are by saying LeBron James would beat him in a fight. And that is hugely disrespectful to Colby Covington's skills as a fighter. But he's talked about it for such a long time. He needed to become the quote-unquote heel, change from the good guy to the bad guy, become vile, say some stuff out there, and be the villain that he needed and many of the fans wanted. And he got the publicity. Any publicity is good publicity. He is the one that proves that to be correct. Because he got bad publicity and it just makes him bigger and bigger. Look at his social media activity. It's huge now. Everybody's talking about him. Everybody's talking to him. Whenever he posts something now, it just gets so much activity. The president calling him is also going to do a huge thing for his career as well. Just because the president calls him, it's going to grow his fan base exponentially. He got a call from the president on live television, apparently after the president did uh, a rally or something like that, or a speech. He went right to watch Colby Covington and then called him afterward. That is huge for Colby Covington. He looked like a kid at a candy shop. And all of this is because of his character. He might actually be this Trump guy. He might be a political guy, you know, conservative, all that stuff. He might be that person. But if he is, this character is a huge exaggeration of it. Because we used to know Colby Covington before he came out with this character. He was a very respectful guy, very nice, quiet, just went out there and fought, gave praise to his opponents always. Even people behind the scenes, his friends, have always said that Colby was such a nice guy, so respectful, and he's not this brash person that you see today, right? He had to make the change, not only to better his career, but save his career. He was on the brink of being cut by the UFC because he wasn't exciting, and people weren't watching him, they kept putting him on fight pass, and he was still winning, right? It was up to the Damian Maia fight. So Colby said he was given notice after the Damian Maia fight he would be cut from the UFC. So he turned into the character. Right there and then he turned into this brash, outspoken character and went after Brazil's audience. And people doubted it at first. They said that this is never going to work. But the controversy and how crazy the world is today, it just mixed in so well with Colby's character and it gave him so much fuel, right? And he just lit it on fire. He lit everything on fire, set everything ablaze. And now he's the talk. He's the guy that everybody wants to see, everybody wants to fight, everybody wants to talk about. In that sense, you can be absolutely happy for the guy. You can absolutely respect his hustle. Even though the things he says can be somewhat vile if you take it seriously, I think it's a troll, right? When I see Colby Covington talk, I think of it all as like a guy who's trolling the world and they're all falling for it. They're all taking the bait. And when you look at it at that lens, it seems hilarious. When Max Kellerman's going off on his first take about Colby Covington and taking these political angles at this whole thing, you just laugh. It's like, wow, he's so deep in these people's heads. People react so emotionally emotionally to everything he says to everything he does to the point where some people literally believe that he would lose a fight to LeBron James and that is even more laughable than anything I've seen this year and 2020 has been wild this would never happen I cannot believe I'm addressing it but I guess I need to because there were so many people that were bringing this up even to me people are literally bringing it up to me then trying to explain how LeBron James would beat Colby Covington in a fight but all it really came down to was being an emotional response they just hate Colby Covington and they love LeBron James and obviously it's not even MMA fans who are saying this it's casual fans and basketball fans who kept coming out of the woodwork to say this about Colby Covington there is just a lack of education in martial arts and fighting in general obviously not for MMA fans obviously not for martial art fans or martial artists themselves we understand the game we understand why this is craziness now what is the explanation always you've probably guessed it already size power athleticism strength there's weight classes for a reason these are the only explanations i've ever gotten or i've ever seen for the reasons that lebron james would be colby covington which means they don't understand skills and skills is not easy to grasp it takes time to understand skill level and how much better professional fighters are than the regular average joe or even someone from a different sport 
we look at the sport through like a telescope, right? We specifically zoom in and only look at professional fighters. And if we zoom in even more, in this case, we're only looking at UFC fighters, the absolute best fighters on the planet. From this telescope, we're able to see the gaps of skill between each fighter. That's why we talk about Habib Nurmagomedov being so dominant in the lightweight division. We talk about Hamza Shemaev, talk about the heavyweights, whoever it's going to be. But when you stop looking through that telescope, and you look at everybody on the planet in terms of skill level, the entire UFC roster looks like it's one person. It, like They're right next to each other in terms of skill. They're so comparable to each other when you bring in everybody on the planet, from the guy who works at a desk job to a basketball player to whatever. The skill gap is massive. Sometimes it can be hard to comprehend. And that is why sometimes people will lose themselves when they talk about a professional fighter versus some regular person because we're constantly just comparing the best fighters on the planet to each other. And that could create an illusion when you bring in some random person. And of course, there's many examples of smaller guys knocking out big athletes before. One of the best examples is Roger Huerta one-shotting, knocking out a football player who's like double his size with one single punch. We've seen Josh Neer obliterating this huge guy in the gym who challenged challenged him to a fight and start talking trash. They took it seriously. They fought each other and Josh Neer annihilated him very bad. There's a video of it. We've seen Dominic Cruz fight a ninja, apparently, you know, self-proclaimed ninja in the gym and annihilate him as well. And this is a very, very young Dominic Cruz. And Roger Huerta and Josh Neer do not compare to Colby Covington at all. Those are just examples to understand what would actually happen. But people believe because LeBron James is such a big name in there, you know, he is some people's hero. So I can understand the bias. And this is a very dangerous way to think about professional fighters because these people are literally the best fighters on the planet by a large margin. And that goes exactly for Colby Covington. I understand LeBron James is athletic. I understand he's 6'9", 250 pounds, 260 pounds, whatever. When people point this out to me, what I think about is, that's a very heavy fall. Because Colby can literally do anything he wants to LeBron James and beat him in a fight, 100%. On the feet, on the ground, you can take him to the ground with a plethora of different techniques. Double leg takedown is a very good weapon, but single leg is even a better weapon for him to use. Ankle pick, he could go through many different variations of takedowns to, to get this fight to the ground and choke out LeBron James at any given moment. What's LeBron going to do when he sees a takedown coming at him, when he sees that level change? Exactly what happens with many other people who fight on the streets. They freeze up. They don't understand what's going on. When that comes out in front of them, they don't know what to do because all they're thinking about is headhunting. And that's exactly what LeBron would do absolutely because he doesn't have experience, doesn't have confidence in his skills, and he's not trained. And if he goes and headhunts and starts throwing right away, Kobe waits for that big punch, that big right haymaker to come at him under the legs, just like he did to Tyron Woodley, which is not the same punch, obviously. But if he could do the same thing to Tyron Woodley that we saw last weekend, you know, under Woodley's right hand and get him in a double leg takedown, he's absolutely going to do the same thing against LeBron James because LeBron is going to overextend and lose back balance completely, just like everybody else does. What happens on the ground? LeBron tries to stand up just like everybody else tries to do, explode and stand to his feet. What usually happens there? They get on all fours. They try to push Colby away with their hand. There goes an armbar attempt. There goes a choke attempt. There's so many vulnerabilities and so many ways Colby can attack this. Choke out, break the arm, land ground and pound shots. Even if he wanted to control and land with elbows and hammer fists and whatever he wants, he could do that too. I mean, LeBron is literally a fish out of water if it gets to the ground. And even on the feet, the skill gap is so vast. LeBron does not have conditioned legs to take leg kicks. You even heard fighters, literally fighters, boxers, in Shannon Briggs and Ray Mercer talk about getting leg kicks for the first time. They said they wanted to cry from the pain. They're real tough guys. What's going to happen to LeBron James when he takes three, four, five, seven, ten of them? He's probably going to fall. 
He's probably not going to be able to stand from those that easily. We're talking about all different variations of kicks. Side kick to the knee, calf kick, kick to the back of the knee that just happened to Sean O'Malley. I mean, many things can happen here or just pure damage and pain. That alone can immobilize someone like LeBron James. The hands as well. Colby is not going to fall under those punches that easily because I've seen LeBron James throw punches. I've seen him hit mitts, and it's not that pretty. It really isn't. And this is not a knock on someone like LeBron because he's not a fighter. This is not fair to put him up in this kind of situation. He's not a fighter. He's not someone who is used to throwing punches and kicks and take punches and kicks, stop takedowns and go for takedowns and break people's arms and legs and all this stuff. He's not that guy, right? And the punches you see him throw at mitts are the prettiest punches he's going to throw, and those are not the best kind of punches. When he goes into an actual fight scene, because he doesn't have the experience and confidence in his skills, he's going to wing punches out there no matter how he's punching at mitts. You need an experience level to be able to fight like you're training. And here's a very simple, casual way to look at it. This is a talking point some people are saying. There are weight classes for a reason. Weight classes only matter when skill level is comparable. It does not matter elsewhere. If anything, it can make you too slow. It can gas you out. It can do many different things that can hinder your ability to fight someone like a Covington, even outweighing them by, what, 80, 70 pounds. UFC 1, 2, 3, and 4 were tournaments where there were no weight classes. And who won most of those tournaments? Hoist Gracie. Hoist Gracie is smaller than Colby Covington, and he fought heavyweights. He beat Dan Severn. For those who don't know Dan Severn, he's a 6'2", 253-pound monster with so much experience in martial arts. He was a 5th-degree black belt in judo, 2nd-degree black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu. He was an international master in sambo. He was a 3-time NCAA Division I All-American from Arizona State University. And he was a 1984 and 1988 Olympic alternate. He got tapped out by 170-pound Hoist Gracie coming from a martial art that nobody knew about. Dan Severn would ragdoll LeBron James, right? I think everybody acknowledges that. Colby Covington would annihilate Hoist Gracie. So in the terms of MMA math, if this is the way that it's going to make sense, by that, what would happen if Colby fought LeBron James? Now, I'm not saying that MMA math is what's going to determine this. What I'm saying is LeBron is not even UFC 1 level. If he's not UFC 1 level, he's not going to beat UFC 253 level. You know what I'm saying? He's not going to beat someone who's 26 years and 27 years better than Hoist Gracie and Dan Severn. And that is Colby Covington. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to address. I don't think, I didn't even think I needed to, to be honest. I think it was just so obvious, but, but I do like to help the casual fans who don't understand the sport that well or martial arts that well because people have to respect professional fighters' skills. Now, don't get me into Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. That's a level of garbage I cannot handle. People literally talking about how Logan Paul is going to beat Floyd because he's like triple his size and stuff. I won't even get into it. I won't even get into that. People who think that, they're just too far gone at that point. That was fun. Let's go right through the questions here. Can't wait to see what you guys have. Now, if you guys are new to the podcast, every week I post under my community tab questions for podcasts or something like that. You guys can reply your questions under there. They could be about anything. As long as they got the most likes, I will read those first. The questions are not in order of likes, so I apologize if I'm skipping around and stuff. But we are going to start with L. Curran. What do you reckon would happen if Dana got his hands on a time machine and put John Jones of today up against the John Jones that defeated Shogun Hua? I know a lot of people would think, they would think that the old John Jones would defeat John Jones of today because he was so dominant and he was a lot more aggressive and because of that, he was finishing opponents a lot more often. But you have to look at the difference in competition, right? Jones is fighting harder guys today than he was back then, right? Back then, he was cleaning out the older generation. Now, he's fighting guys who are equally as athletic, just as big as him, more skilled than the fighters of the past. And that is another reason why he's not finishing opponents so often like he used to, right? Fighting Daniel Cormier, fighting Dominic Reyes, 
fighting Tiago Santos. This is a little bit different for him than fighting Shogun Hua, you know, Quentin Jackson, Rashad Evans, the guys who were cleaned out. So I do think that John Jones of today would defeat John Jones of any other era because he still is in his prime and he has learned so many things since that fight. Look what he did to Gustafson in the first one and look what he did in the second fight, right? That is a big difference fighting the same fighter. Look what he did to Daniel Cormier. He only gets better with time. Well, most fighters do unless you're getting old, which he's not. He's taken some damage, but he has not taken so much damage to the point where his age is accelerating. So Jones of today would defeat Jones of the Shogun Hua fight even though the Jones of the Shogun Hua fight was more fun to watch, given how easier his competition was. And then we go to Minden. How does Hamza Shemaev do against the top 10 welterweights and middleweights? Love your videos, Weasel. Thank you so much, man. And I know this question has been asked a few times out here. So, and I don't like to do this uh, single fighter versus a top 10 thing too often because it does take a lot of time. But because so many people ask this question, I'm going to do both the middleweight and welterweight division. We'll start with the welterweight division because that is his natural weight class. And that is probably where we're going to see him more often. So Hamza Shemaev versus Neil Magny. I know this is the fight that Daniel Cormier wanted to do. And to be honest, I think he beats Magny. Magny's not strong against fighters who take him to the ground and control him, right? Even though he might be a better striker than Hamza Shemaev, give him problems with his range and his volume, especially that jab is just going to keep him at bay. That low single leg is going to hurt Magny very, very badly. I got to go with Hamza Shemaev. I think Hava Dos Angels, very similar thing. Doesn't do too well against aggressive wrestlers. Got to go with Shemaev on that one as well. Michael Chiesa. Now, this is very interesting because Chiesa is very capable off his back. But again, he's not the same kind of grappler or wrestler that Shemaev is and he doesn't have the same kind of power that Shemaev has as well both are not that technical on the feet compared to some of the other strikers I think they're very comparable with their striking skills so Shemaev having the superior wrestling I think he should be able to control Kiesa and eventually submit him to be honest or ground and pound him because Kiesa's offensive grappling is a lot better than his defense given how many times he was submitted given how many times he got controlled gotta go with Shemaev on that one Shemaev versus Tyron Woodley who's number seven now so he dropped two places in the welterweight ranks this is a tricky one, right? It's always tricky with Tyron Woodley because that big right hand is an equalizer. I understand he doesn't do too well against pressure, volume, and constant wrestling. And those are the things that Shemaev can bring up to Tyron Woodley, especially with a different kind of wrestling that Woodley's not used to. You know, Kamar Usman kind of use a similar variation of wrestling that Shemaev uses. Just use the cage, drag him to the ground, all sort of stuff like that. I'll go with Shemaev to be honest at this point. Damian Maia gets annihilated. Steven Thompson, polar opposite fighter. So obviously Shemaev has nothing for Thompson on the feet. Maybe he can threaten with takedowns and cause Thompson to make a mistake and potentially catch him because Shemaev has knockout power, of course, right? Thompson might be a bit tentative, kind of how we fought Tyron Woodley due to the takedown threat. And that could be a very similar thing when he fights Shemaev, but Shemaev is a pressuring fighter. He's aggressive. And that does favor Thompson where when he fought Tyron Woodley, Thompson had to be the aggressor. And due to that, he couldn't counter as easily as he usually does. He's naturally a better counter puncher than he is a pressuring fighter. But if he's going to be backing up, is his footwork enough to get out of the range and move laterally enough to get away from an explosive takedown? I don't think so, to be honest. I think Shemaev would probably be Steven Thompson. If it gets to the ground, Wonderboy's done. And even on the feet, Shemaev can... Cause a lot of problems for Thompson there. A lot of feints, a lot of level changes to cause Thompson to slip up a bit. Thompson is not going to be as committed for his strikes due to the takedown threat. And that's going to throw a lot of his game off, especially countering, right? 
because countering his back is going to be toward the cage, and takedowns are going to be always present there. Jorge Masvidal, I'll go with Jorge on this one. His takedown defense is very strong. He's very good off his back. He's hard to hold down, and he's a superior striker overall all across the board. Shamayev has nothing for Masvidal on the feet. Absolutely nothing. Leon Edwards. This is going to be very similar to the Stephen Thompson fight. So Edwards might be pushed back, not as easily as Thompson, but he might get pushed back due to the takedown threat. Edwards does not have that strong of takedown defense in general. It's a bit suspect, and that's alarming, man, because even though he's a much better striker than Shamayev, and he will do better than Thompson would, I think he does get taken to the ground and dominated as well. You gotta push Shamayev back if you want to strike with him. Gilbert Burns, I gotta go with Burns, superior striker. Shamayev probably doesn't want to go to the ground that long, to be honest, because when it hits the ground, Burns is something different than Shamayev's ever fought up against before. And Burns is a hard guy to take down if he wants to stop it. He will fight the takedown long enough to where he can calculate and feel out where he can, you know, go for a guillotine or pull guard or something like that or land elbows in the clinch. Fight it enough to the point where he feels comfortable to go to the ground or attack right that's something a lot of fighters in this division are not going to be able to do and then Colby Covington I'm going to go with Colby Covington I think it's a competitive fight I think the power difference is enough for Shemaev to come back whenever he's getting outstruck because Colby tends to run into punches sometimes when he's relying on his volume just like when he fought Kamaru Usman right that's what got him finished and that can happen against Shemaev as well Shemaev is going to be very pressuring I don't know exactly where his cardio is so that's an unknown and can he take Colby to the ground? Probably a couple times in the fight, but Colby should be able to scramble back up to his feet. Ultimately, I think a technical striking of Colby should be able to make him win on the scorecards. Whereas Shamayev is not the most technical striker. He's not someone who sets up with different kind of variations of techniques. It's usually just jab, right hand, or feel out with the left, throw the right hand. It's the same kind of motion every time. And due to them being opposite stances, Hamza's jab is not going to be in play that much. It's going to be his right hand for the most part. And that's all we really know from his striking. He does throw front kicks and some round kicks to the body and stuff. But Colby should be able to avoid that right hand due to how obvious it can be sometimes, right? And land with combinations, land with body kicks at the end of his combinations as Hamza has to pull away. And if Hamza does not pull away, He's going to go for the takedown. Colby should be able to stuff it for long enough to scramble his way out of there and just rinse and repeat. His punch count is eventually going to get him the victory. And then Kamaru Usman. He has better takedown defense than Colby Covington. He has more power. He can meet the power with Hamza Shemaev. But the thing is, Usman does a lot of work in the clinch. And I don't know how he's going to deal with Hamza out there. Because Hamza is better with his takedowns than Usman is when he's in the clinch. Right? He's a lot better with disrupting your balance, making you move certain ways, getting different angles on you to attempt for takedowns. But Usman, as of what we know, has better strikes in the clinch, especially the body punches. And again, we don't know where Hamza's cardio is at. So I got to go with Usman on this one. I think he is a better puncher. He has the longer reach. He has a pretty good jab, very good straight right hand, strong in the clinch overall. And I think he's going to be very hard to take down. He might attempt takedowns on Hamza as well. So I'll stick with Usman, given that I don't know exactly where Shemaev's cardio is at. And then we go to the middleweight division. Hamza versus Uriah Hall. I got to go with Hamza on that one. Uriah Hall's biggest weakness is pressure. Just clear out pressure and cutting him off. And when Hamza pressures him, the takedown is open right there. Chris Weidman. This is probably a competitive fight. Hamza could hurt Weidman with his hands, right? Weidman's chin is not the same. Taking down Weidman is a very hard task. Weidman is very good off his back as well. He's physically extremely strong, especially his grip. And he's going to look to take down Shemaev as well. Being the smaller guy, I might go with Weidman on this one. Kelvin Gastelum, I got to go with Shemaev. Gaslam has more power, but I don't think he's going to stop the takedown. And Gaslam is a guy who resets a lot after his punches. He throws a big left hand and has to reset constantly. He's going to get pressured because of that. Hamza is going to move in and out of his punches, slowly pressure him to the cage, throw some front kicks just to move him back even more and shoot in. 
The first shot might be the end for Gaslam. Derek Brunson. This is very competitive. I don't know exactly how good Shamayev is at avoiding punches. I don't think either of them are going to take down each other. I don't think Shamayev is going to be able to take down Brunson. And I don't think Brunson is going to be able to take down Shamayev. You know what? I'll go with Brunson in this one. I'll go with Brunson in this one because he is more powerful, of course. He has a longer reach. And if he fights patient... Shemaev is not going to have that many openings to attack, right? If if Brunson's engaging and blitzing down like he used to do, Shemaev might be able to find some counter shots in between the punches, right? But if Brunson's sitting back and just waiting on Shemaev a little bit, throwing some jabs, throwing some kicks out there, I think Brunson should be able to counter Shemaev's right hand, possibly. But it is competitive because I can also see Shemaev catching Brunson while even being on the offense. I'll go with Brunson due to the power difference and the reach. Darren Till, strong balance, strong hips, hard guy to take down, and way better on the feet than Shemaev. And on the ground, Darren Till is not an easy guy to control. Every single guy who has taken him to the ground could not control him. Now, those guys are not the same kind of wrestlers as Shemaev is, so it depends. I think Shemaev can take down Till due to his wide stance, shooting for that low single, and that low single is going to make Till hesitate. And if he doesn't, if he comes forward with that left hand, he's just going to get taken to the ground 100%, right? Counter takedowns for Shemaev are going to work. Till commits a lot into that left hand when he moves forward. And I don't think it's going to do well against Shemaev, to be honest. So I might lean Shemaev on this one because Till is more aggressive than he is countering. And due to that, I see a lot of opportunities for the double leg takedown of Shemaev. Even if he doesn't finish off Till, I think he will win the scorecards. Yoel Romero, I have to go with Romero, stops all the takedowns, even if he gets taken to the ground, he's going to pop right back up, striking difference is way too much, the power difference is way too much, the speed difference is way too much, Jack Hermanson, this would be very competitive, Hermanson's probably better at MMA BJJ, he's better at submissions, but he doesn't have the same kind of power, he's a better striker overall, he is also much bigger and much longer, but how does he deal with the pressure, right? Hermanson's easily pressured back. And due to that, his lateral movement can be pretty obvious, allowing for the takedowns of Shemaev to be alive in this one and constant. And he could probably find a right hand off of the clinch or, you know, disengaging from the takedown or something like that. But ultimately, I gotta go with Jack Hermanson. I think his ground game's a little bit too strong. His submissions are way too slick. The fact that he was able to hold this all with Jacques Rizosa and even tell his latest, submit David Branch, submit Kelvin Gaslam as easily as he did, I think he's a bit too dangerous on the ground for Shemaev. Jared Kananir. This is a scary fight. One shot from Kananir will probably put down Shemaev, but I do not see him stopping the takedown at all. So I gotta go with Shemaev on this one. Kananir's takedown defense is not that strong, and I know his light kicks are gonna cause some damage early on, but I don't see him stopping one single takedown from Shemaev. Paulo Costa. This is a scary fight as well. Costa is a hard guy to take down. Superior striker can get caught by a counter right hand 100% when he's throwing those looping punches. You know what? I got to go with Paulo Costa in this one. I think he will stop the takedowns overall. And his engagement and ferocious aggression is not going to allow Shemaev to do much else besides try to look for some right counter shots. I don't see him really doing it that much, but mostly going for that same double leg takedown and switching to a single leg or something like that. I think Costa is going to be able to fight through it. You got to pressure Shemaev. You have to do it. Same thing with Habib. Those two guys, you have to pressure them back. They're much different fighters when they're pushed back. Robert Whitaker, I got to go with Whitaker. Stops all the takedowns, outstrikes him. Israel Adesanya, same thing. Stops all the takedowns, outstrikes him. Then we go to Don't Hate the Flair, Hate the Game. Hey Weasel, hope you're doing well and are healthy. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, I'm doing much better. Number one, who would you see winning at this point in their career? Tyron Woodley versus Conor McGregor. Things have gotten so much different over the years, right? Because before, everybody was so sure Tyron would defeat Conor McGregor. But nowadays, it's not so sure because Conor's a way better striker. He can force Tyron Woodley to fall into that left hand. But Woodley's takedowns are still a threat. He took down Colby Covington, right? 
Due to the wrestling, I do favor Tyron Woodley to win. I think it'll be a very similar fight to the Stephen Thompson, but the takedowns will be a lot easier for Woodley to get, right? That explosive double leg takedown, even when his back's on the cage, I think he should be able to get Conor McGregor in those. I gotta go with Woodley if he approaches the fight in a wrestling manner. Number two, did you see anything from Covington against Woodley that makes you think he will beat Usman? Yes, definitely. Colby Covington showed a lot of things in this fight that actually makes me favor him in the Usman fight, to be honest. Just clear-cut evolution. Look at the kicks he threw at Woodley. He's never thrown those before. Not with that kind of form and not with that kind of consistency, right? He was very confident in his kicks. He can use those against Usman 100%. Throw some kicks to the body, throw some kicks to the leg, especially given Usman has bad knees or something. His patience in the Woodley fight is something we haven't seen in a very long time, right? If he does that against Usman, he could possibly evade more of those shots from Usman. The power difference is always going to be a thing in this fight, though. Covington has to get his head off center line every time. The thing he was making a mistake on was he kept moving his head just straight back while also having a reach disadvantage. You can see where that could be a mistake because if Usman extends into that right straight as Covington is moving his head away, he can still get caught. He has to move his head off the center line when he's throwing these punches and when he's resetting the action. Either that or go for the takedown, right? If you cannot get your head off center line when you come into attack, shooting for a takedown right because you don't want to just keep moving your head straight back because he got caught a few times for that and especially when he got dropped as well as got in his uh, I think jaw broken with that one punch he would lean in to throw one of his hooks and he would just move his head straight back either in place or away no matter what you're on line of sight for Usman's punches Usman punches in the center line every time you just got to get your head off center line either shoot in or slip the punch if he just does that, his chances skyrocket in this one due to also his evolution. Usman's progression isn't as fast as Covington's. Usman is just kind of polishing what he already does. Covington is bringing in other things. Now, I understand where that can be problematic if you bring in Bruce Lee's philosophy where he says, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once. I fear the man who has practiced one kick a thousand times. No, I can understand where that philosophy makes it seem like Usman would have the advantage given that he's polishing what he already does. In a sense, practicing one punch 10,000 times, right? Where Covington is bringing in all different kind of techniques, right? His boxing is not that polished. It's getting better, obviously. But he's still throwing those looping shots and he's punching over his knees and stuff. And now I understand that sets up takedowns very well, right? He's already leaning in to shoot in after he throws a punch. But he's not delivering the same kind of power. He's not attacking the same kind of speed as well. But the thing with Usman is... He's throwing the same punches in every single fight. Jab, straight right hand, uppercut to the body. Those are the big punches that he throws. And because of that, it's easier to game plan for them, just like Tyron Woodley, right? Tyron Woodley throws a few strikes on the feet. And Colby dealt with it very easily. He knew almost everything Tyron was throwing other than, you know, the Superman punch off the cage, which is something I've never seen him do before. But the blitz right hand, you know, counter right hand, right low kick, he avoided all of those. With just adjustments and game plan, he could do the same thing against Kamaru Usman's strikes as well. And throw the kicks to the leg, disrupt the balance. And his boxing in general was very effective against Usman. All he has to do is retract his head off center line or shoot in for a takedown. That's it. And then your third question, prime Mike Tyson versus the top 10 in lightweight in a street fight who wins. Keep killing it with the videos, Weasel. Thank you so much for the questions, man. So I'll do this one very quickly. Mike Tyson loses to all of them. People forget how big lightweights are, right? A prime Mike Tyson weighed, what, 210, 220? And most of the lightweights weigh like 180 to even 200 pounds. Given that they're all better fighters than Mike Tyson is, and they know how his game is, he's not going to stop any takedowns, ever. 
He's also not going to deal well with any kicks either. And given that everybody in the top 10 can take him to the ground and kick him and do all that stuff, Tyson's not going to have much of a chance against any of them. Then we go to Counter Punch MMA. Number one, do you think Hamza Shumayev is being rushed too early after Maya? He could lose a few since nobody in top 5 will fight him. And I don't see him beating someone like Luke at welterweight or any top 15 middleweight. Is he being rushed too early? Yes, in uh, normal standards, prospects should not be rushed this quickly. But he seems special. He really does. So we all know he'll beat Maya, right? I think we're all kind of confident in that. And I already talked about how I think his fights would go in the top five as well as that middleweight. Middleweight's a hard division for him. Very hard. At welterweight, he definitely has a lot of opponents he can defeat. And here's the things, man. We don't know how he deals with losses. We don't know how he deals if he gets hurt. We don't know his cardio's at. So there's a lot of unknowns about him. In that sense, I do think he might be rushed too quickly if he fights Maya right now. I want to see that stuff first. But the thing is... Who is good enough to test him if he's not going to fight Maya? That's the problem. If nobody can test him and push him to those limits where we can see what he's actually made of, then he has to fight guys like Maya. He has to fight the top five. Now you say Luke? Um, yeah, Luke is actually a problematic style due to how good his BJJ is. And he's a much better striker than Shumayev. But his takedown defense probably will get thwarted. And that's the thing, man. Shumayev is so strong on the ground. I don't know where his BJJ defense is going to be like. I don't know if he's going to be able to stop the submissions, but that dominant wrestling style that he brings, that Habib brings to the game, it's just so strong. But yes, I do think Shemaev is rushed a little bit too quickly. Number two, although boxing is dying, do you think that their big fights create more hype than UFC big fights like in the UK? I know for sure boxing fights create more hype, like we get behind our fighter no matter who they are. Um, not for me. So for some people, yes, boxing fans, 100%. But boxing is not doing well. And for various reasons, there's too many weight classes, there's too many championships. And probably the worst of all, there's too many promoters. Too many promoters is good for the fighter, but it's not good for the fans. I mean, I understand having like three, four or five where you know who everybody is and it's easier to create matchups. But the more promoters there are, the harder it is to put together fights because now there's fight politics involved. Now money's a huge issue and managers and promoters don't want to take certain fights unless they get their way. And because of that, we don't see fights until it's like five years too late. And you have to remember the UFC is an organization by itself right? And there's one promoter, that is Dana White, and he has, what, 400 fighters. Promoters in boxing only have, like, a few fighters, right? There's not a lot of guys for them to compete up against, unless they have to negotiate with other promoters, and that's where it all becomes tricky and muddy, especially for American fighters. I mean, look at Spencer and Crawford. When are they going to fight? 10 years from now? You know, that's the kind of thing that fans don't want to see. Look at Ryan Garcia, right? They're not putting him up against Gervonta Davis, or look at Deontay Wilder for such a long time. I will say though, the UK and Europe in general, to be honest, outside of maybe Anthony Joshua and his promoter, they just put on the fights, man. They are the ones that are keeping boxing alive. When you talk about Lomachenko and Usyk and Tyson Fury and Triple G, they are the ones that are keeping this sport alive. I'm glad Canelo's actually starting to fight more due to him parting ways with Oscar De La Hoya. But Europe in general are the ones that are keeping this more interesting and keeping it fun. But the whole thing about the hype and getting behind the fighter and stuff... It does seem like they get behind the fighter a lot more than UFC fans do. But the other thing is MMA fans get behind the sport more than boxing fans do, I think. Just entirely. MMA fans love all the fighters. While boxing fans, it seems like they're very hostile even towards other boxers, right? That seems to be a little bit different, but they do create a little bit more hype in general for their own fighter. And then we go to Electro Buff. Hey Weasel, I'm a fan from Kenya. Oh, shout out to Kenya, man. 
And I can't wait to see your questions here. So number one, is one month of MMA training enough for self-defense? It's better than nothing, but I would recommend more. Here's the thing, man. If you get into MMA training, you're going to get addicted. It just happens. Everybody who does it, you look at celebrities for an example. Every celebrity who has tried martial arts became addicted. You will do it more than one month. But is it enough for self-defense? Probably not enough. You will learn some of the basics to handle yourself more than the average person will, but you won't have the necessary confidence or the necessary experience in only a month's time to have a level of composure under any circumstance in a street fight or something like that. With a month of training, you're still going to be pretty chaotic out there, you know? You're not going to be too composed with everything and too confident in your skills. Number two, do you think Hamza Shemaev will actually keep on winning and eventually fight for and potentially win the belt? Or will he be like a Johnny Walker hype train that gets derailed? Yeah, I think Hamza Shemaev might be the champion in the future. I'm actually positive he'll be a champion in the future. Soon, I have no idea. Number three, what's your opinion on the current state of the UFC not making the deserved fights, but instead making fights that make more sense money-wise for them? What's an example of this? Conor McGregor's situation probably, but I don't know exactly what's going on there. I don't know if they're doing that right now, are they? Oh, the Hori Mazadal is a big one, right? Because they want to do Nate Diaz when it should be probably Colby Covington. Yeah, they're not doing it that much, right? Stipe is going to fight Nganu. Dominic Reyes is fighting Jan Blachowicz. Adesanya is fighting Costa. Kamaru is fighting Gilbert Burns. So they're not doing that much, actually. I think they're better now than they were during the McGregor era, right? Remember when McGregor was getting everything he wanted and all the fighters are trying to be like him and trying to go only for the money fights? That seemed to have died, right? And I'm glad that we're on the next era. Number four, what is the easiest way to win a street fight? Assume the opponent is stronger but unskilled. Ah, there's many ways. It depends how unskilled, depends how much bigger, depends how much stronger. The easiest way to end a fight is a slam, right? Just go under for the takedown, lift and slam, but that is a dangerous way of ending a fight for your opponent. Depends what that what the situation is, but usually you don't want to hurt your opponent fatally, you know? So generally people throw haymakers and they usually get to put their dominant hand forward and swing it back for the big haymaker. And it's very easy to see all the time. From that, you take them to the ground. Simple, fight's over from there. You know what you're doing. They have no idea what to do. Once you get it to the ground, they're a fish out of water. And it becomes extremely easy to control them because they usually give up their neck. They don't know they're giving up their neck. They don't know they're giving up their arm. They don't know they're giving up their leg if you want to go for a heel hook. It becomes a lot easier if you take it to the ground. Always. One-on-one. Always. But if they have friends with them, you want to attack fast and usually they're going to come in on you first, right? They swing big on you. You want to block or duck as well as attack at the same time or immediately afterward. You can go for the big right hand right to the takedown from there just in case if they get knocked out by the right hand because, you know, they swung wide and kept their chin up in the air and they don't know they're going to get hit. That might be able to knock them out almost always. If they overreach, you could check them with a hook as you're moving away and keeping the other hand up and you want to do that because their punches are almost always going to be looping. If they're staying away after they get touched up a bit or just initially they're just staying away a bit and they're just moving erratically all over the place, you want to attack with leg kicks. They are not going to deal well with them at all, no matter who they are. You'll either sweep them from the leg kick, take away their balance, hurt them badly, and from that there's two responses they give you. They bomb rush you or they move away. Those are always the responses. They never take it and keep composure. From there, you know what to do. If they're moving away, you can throw more kicks to the leg. They're not going to do anything to stop it. You can attack with your hands, set up with the jab, see what they're going to do, throw the straight right when you get the feeling of it. When they're rushing you, you can do the same thing as before. Take down, big up, slam, all that stuff, or just take them to the ground, choke them out, or keep them in position so you don't hurt them. Many ways you can go about this. 
even if they're stronger, same kind of thing. If they're a bigger guy, tall and everything like that, you're not going to be able to counter with the hooks as easily, right? You want to make your way in more. Light kicks from a distance is going to be a weapon, of course, but swift strikes are going to be the faster guy, most likely. You want to make him chase you. You want to make him get tired. You can do it that way, cat and mouse tactic. You could also take him to the ground as well if they greatly overextend and lose balance. From there, almost always the bigger guy is going to give up his neck. Almost always. So yeah, there's many ways you can go about this. Then we go to Ali Hussein. Top 5 killer instincts in MMA history. Thought of this after seeing Lawler and Tiwa not pulling the trigger after a career of knockouts. Thanks, Weasel. So not in order, I'll say Robbie Lawler. I'd probably say Nick Diaz. When Nick Diaz got you hurt, you were eventually going to get finished. That was inevitable. If you got hurt, if you start tiring out, you were going to get finished. Vanderlei Silva, 100%. Chuck Liddell's a big one. He's definitely top five. Francis Ngannou. And Jeremy Stevens is definitely in there. So we're going to go with no name. Tony versus Charles. If Charles wins, then it could be a good fight for Habib. Because Charles will be on an eight-fight win streak, unlike Dan Hooker, who lost his last fight. Okay, well, Tony versus Charles is a very interesting fight. Tony's a little bit bigger of a fighter. He has a longer reach. Who has more power? I think it's pretty close. Tony Ferguson might have more power given his history of dropping opponents and stuff like that. But Oliveira has more speed in his shots. And he could really surprise Tony Ferguson with that right hand counter shot or even check left hook. Oliveira has better fundamentals overall. He has a much better Muay Thai style. Very good front kicks and light kicks. And I don't think it's going to hit the ground unless one of them gets dropped. Who's better on the ground? That would be interesting to watch, really. They're both so active, so risky on the ground. They go for so many things. Oliveira is better with the triangle chokes and stuff like that. Well, I think Tony Ferguson might be better with the Darce choke. I would actually say Charles Oliveira might be a better submission artist. I think he has better submissions than Tony Ferguson. But Tony has the strikes off his back. He's also better with ground and pound, I believe. And maybe better with positioning or control of a comfortable position. I do think Tony would win, but Oliveira definitely has many opportunities to win that fight. He can counter Tony as he comes in. But I do not see Oliveira dealing well with the pressure. If Charles does win, how does he fight Habib though? On paper, Oliveira has one of the best styles against Habib. I mean, when you talk about his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu able to snatch on that guillotine or any kind of choke onto Habib at any given moment is always going to be a threat. He's a much better striker than Habib as well. He's more powerful. He's faster. He has a longer reach. He has better kicks. He has better timing. It all comes down to can Habib avoid the chokes. If he can avoid the chokes, he is going to probably dominate Charles Oliveira, gas him out as Oliveira continuously goes from submission to submission. And Habib will be able to outlast the first round, second round until Oliveira is not the same fighter anymore. And Habib just absolutely dominates after that. The first two rounds, Oliveira might be one of the most dangerous guys for Habib to fight in the entire division. He might be number one. He actually might be the most dangerous guy for Habib for the first two rounds. After that, I think Habib is going to be pretty comfortable in dominating. And yes, I do believe Oliveira, being an eight-fight win streak, he should be in consideration for a higher contendership fight than Dan Hooker at this moment. And then we go to the Milkman. Who wins these fantasy matchups? DC versus Prime Kane at heavyweight. I'll say probably Kane. He has better boxing. He has better pressure. He can wrestle with DC. Way better kicks. And he seems to be a little bit more athletic with his attacks. So I'm going to go with Kane. But they are pretty similar in their styles. Cruz versus Aldo and 135. I think Aldo. Aldo is a very bad matchup for Cruz. Because Cruz can absolutely not go for any takedowns. Unless he wants to set him up for strikes. Like he dips low and comes up high and stuff like that. But the leg kicks from Aldo are going to demoralize and destroy Cruz's entire game. So I got to go with Aldo. 100%. Masvidal versus Leon Edwards at 170. That's a very competitive fight. As much as people don't like Leon Edwards, you have to acknowledge Leon Edwards' skills on the feet. Now, Masvidal has a wrestling game, though. 
right? People want to underestimate it. He can go and make an MMA fight, not a kickboxing bout with Edwards. And if he does that, his chances of winning the fight skyrocket because technically on the feet, Edwards might surpass Masvidal. He might be a superior technical kickboxer than Masvidal is. Masvidal is a better boxer and he has really good round body kicks, but Edwards seems to have better timing with his hands, seems to have better timing with his kicks. He throws more variety of fundamentals, really sneaky counter shots, long counter shots. He's a little bit longer than Masvidal, I believe, right? He's six foot two as well, but he doesn't have great takedown defense. And that's where Masvidal can mix up the striking with the wrestling and get his way through a decision win. I don't see either of them getting knocked out in the fight. I think it's a competitive striking bout until Masvidal turns it into a more of an MMA fight. I do think Edwards is a bit of a better striker overall. He's way more efficient, and that's going to lead Masvidal to wrestle in the fight. Polo Costa versus TRT Vitor at 185. When you put TRT Vitor in any matchup, I'm scared for his opponent. Well, TRT Vitor is faster. He's way more powerful. He's a very dangerous counterpuncher, and that's the problem for Costa. I think Vitor also has a longer reach, which is kind of crazy. I gotta go with Vitor. The way you do not fight Vitor is you do not rush him. And what does Costa do? He rushes people a lot. And Vitor has explosive short-range counter shots. That's dangerous for Paulo Costa, man. Especially them being opposite stances. Vitor has that left hand ready at all times. Costa wants to stutter step his way in with the jab and try to find the right hand so he can start his combinations and pressure. As soon as he commits with a power shot, I see Vitor countering him. 100%. He's so much faster than Costa. That's going to be the sheer difference in their effectiveness. So I got to go with Vitor Belfort by knockout. Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz at 155. That's actually a very close fight because Dustin Poirier doesn't have the best kicks. Right? When you look at his kicks, he's not really rotating his hips that much, and he doesn't throw leg kicks almost ever. So Dustin Poirier is going to approach Nate Diaz and Nate Diaz's own game. Boxing, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yes, his wrestling can shut down a lot when Nate Diaz does, but Diaz is so dangerous off his back. Also, Nate Diaz has a better chin. He might have better cardio, higher output as well. But looking what Poirier did to Max Holloway shows that there is a huge possibility that Poirier is able to deal so much damage to Nate Diaz and get a decision win or even TKO win. But the difference here is Nate Diaz does not really reset. If you hit him, he still keeps going. And that's a problem for Poirier. If Poirier lands that big bomb of a left hand, Nate Diaz is still going to be on him, right? Whereas Max Holloway moves away and resets and allows Poirier to get breathing space so he doesn't have to power punch every single time. He cannot go volume for volume with Nate Diaz. He can't use his combinations that well. He cannot switch stance forward for the big power shots. So it's a one-shot sniping of an approach that he has to take against Nate Diaz. And that is so exhausting to do, especially when Nate Diaz is putting the pressure on you while you're always power punching at every moment. And this is 155 Nate Diaz, which I believe is prime Nate Diaz. I think Nate Diaz is better at 155 than he is at 170. So I do see being competitive because of that, the damage that Poirier is going to be able to dish out is going to neutralize a lot of the judging here but can he keep up that same approach for five rounds i don't know man my feeling is nate diaz would win i have a gut feeling nate diaz would beat dustin poirier you know i'm gonna go with nate diaz at 155 against dustin poirier figueredo versus dj at 125 i gotta go with dj because figueredo does not have that good of cardio right he starts gassing out after the second round and he's not the most technical guy all around the board DJ is going to be able to play the gas tank, use the movement, get in and out with the strikes, trigger that big right hand from Figueredo and counter it or counter with takedowns and just avoid that guillotine choke. Figueredo is much bigger and much more powerful. If he lands one time on DJ, DJ might be down. That is always a scary thing about Figgy, but I got to go with DJ. Overall, just much more skilled, much better cardio. And that is the big thing going into that fight. And the last question, and if TJ comes back, it looks good as he did before. How does he do against the top 10 bantamweights? Um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it'll take up a lot of time when I get to other questions, but 
I think he does very, very well. We don't know how he looks without PEDs. Maybe he only took PEDs for that Cejudo fight. Who knows? But if he didn't, and he always took it, how is he going to look without them? My guess would be his cardio would not be nearly as good as it is. So I do believe he will beat most of the fighters. He will probably lose to Dominic Cruz again. He will lose to Petrion 100%. He might be able to defeat Jose Aldo, but that would be a tough fight for him. And the rest of the guys, he might be able to defeat off the top of my head. And then we go to Kislay Roy. Hey Weasel, love your podcast. Got three questions for you. Number one, what is Costa's best path to victory against Izzy? Do you see him implementing wrestling? No, I do not see him implementing wrestling at all. He kind of has to do what he does, but the way to get there is always going to be hard for him, no matter what, because he has such a short reach, and the attacks he usually commits with are just hard to connect from a distance. I think leg kicks to throw off Izzy a bit is going to be a huge thing for him. Also, body kicks as well. So a lot of right kicks to the leg and a lot of switch kicks to the body. Just to get Izzy to back up a bit, don't go for anything crazy from a distance at the center of the cage. The goal for Costa, the absolute goal for him, is to get Izzy's back on the cage and get him to a parallel stance. If he can get Izzy into a parallel stance, then the fight gets into Costa's world because he's going to cut off Izzy, which he does very well against all fighters, and land with the hooks, right? When you're in a parallel stance, you can't move forward and back that well. You move left and right. So if you time those hooks to the body or to the head, maybe body then head, which is going to be a lot easier for Costa to land, you start to deal a lot of damage on Izzy. The hardest challenge for him is the path to get there. It's the path to get Izzy's back to the cage. And the kicks have to be a huge weapon for him. Right leg kicks early on, switch kicks when he starts faking with the power shots over the top. He fakes like he's going to throw a big right straight, but then he goes for a switch kick to the body, which links up very well. He can absolutely do stuff like that to get Izzy to back up. But man, I do see it just overall a very tough fight for Paulo Costa, no matter how you put it. It's a style that Izzy should be able to kind of pick apart, to be honest. Number two, with Burns versus Usman in December, if Burns wins, who you see being the next challenger? That's an interesting question because you do have Leon Edwards, of course. I could see them putting in Covington because he has a bigger name, he's more interesting, and the UFC just seems to want Leon Edwards to fight someone. They don't want him to sit out, they want him to compete up against someone and just see what happens after. And Usman defeated both of them, but Colby was a more competitive fight and a fight that a lot of people would like to see again, so they probably would go to Colby Covington. I think Colby will get the, the title shot against either of them. And then we go to Lewis Jones. Is there any situation where it would be beneficial for a fighter to fake being hurt? For example, a counter striker to bait his opponent to come forward if so you could think of any fights where this might have worked i think you're alluding to the whole uh scott smith knocking out pete cell thing where a lot of people actually thought that scott smith faked like he got hurt to the body and then pete cell ran into him to finish him off and then scott smith lands a big right hand and knocks him out well it actually turned out that scott smith was actually hurt by the body shot i think he got his rib broken by the body shot from pete cell but yeah there could be there could be situations where this would help for example, Jonathan Ivey, who's an absolutely mad human being, he uh, dropped Travis Fulton once, right? He got kicked to the body and he and he faked like he got hurt by it. And then he just rushed Fulton and dropped him when Fulton froze up when he thought he hurt Jonathan Ivey. But the whole thing about faking an injury, it's all about making your opponent fall into something, either stopping action entirely or chase you, right? Those are the two reactions you're always going to get. They're going to rush you to finish you off or they're going to stay away because they're kind of confused. And from that, you can always drive in some kind of... And from there, you can always capitalize on something. This did backfire in Anderson Silva. Remember when um, Chris Wyman landed a just slapping left hook? 
before he knocked out Silva. Silva kind of like wiggled his legs like he was rocked a bit. Then Chris Ryan threw the one-two back-fist left-hook combination and knocked him out. That backfired on Silva, so sometimes it can get you in trouble. But if your opponent is kind of in a shell, he's not doing anything, and he throws something for once, and you know you need him to come forward so you can counter him, yeah, you could fake an injury. If he connects on you just a little bit, you can act like, oh man, I'm rocked a bit. He comes forward, and then you're like, okay, now I got you. Big left-hook counter shot, big right straight fade out, something like that. I don't recommend it because it's so risky, but there are situations where it would help you. <laughs> this guy says, Ed Herman and Mike Rodriguez, JK, please don't hurt me. That was wild, man. That whole that whole fight was weird. The ref just made a huge mistake, man. Kutilaba tried it. Yep, Kutilaba tried it, and it didn't go his way because the ref stopped the fight. He actually didn't get hurt the way he looked like he was hurt, but it was the ref that stopped it instead of Magomed Ankulayev dropping him or anything like that. And Derek Lewis, yeah, Derek Lewis does it a couple times. Now, I don't know if he's actually faking it or he's actually hurt. I don't know because when you look at the Travis Brown fight, whenever he got kicked to the body, he always covered up his body and moved away like something happened. And against Mark Hunt, it happened plenty of times. I don't know what is actually going on there. Then we go to Ewan DJ. Number one, do you think Max Holloway could defeat Volkanovski in a third fight or does Volkanovski have his number? Volkanovski does not have his number. I originally thought he did because of how intelligently he fought him the first time, right? It looked like Max Holloway couldn't do anything that differently to turn the fight around, right? I did talk about the kicks that Holloway doesn't throw many kicks anymore and maybe he did commit to them a little bit. He could change things here and there, but I did not think they would have the kind of effect that it did in their second fight. So yes, Holloway can absolutely defeat Volkanovski in a third fight and the rematch showed that. Volkanovski still won the rematch, don't at me. Number two, who does Alistair Overeem have to beat to get a title shot? And if he does get there, how do you see Overeem versus Miocic 2 playing out? So he's currently on a two-fight win streak. The loss to Jarzino Rolzestrike was kind of weird because he was winning the fight clearly up until one punch landed and knocked him out, which is, you know, the heavyweight puncher's chance. And before that, he was on another two-fight win streak and he lost to Curtis Blaze beforehand after losing to Francis Ngannou. So that was a long time ago, right? The thing is, though, he's not fighting the top, top contenders, right? Augusto Sakai, Walt Harris, Alexei Olenek, and Sergei Pavlovich are not the top contenders of this division. He needs to fight a top contender. And who better than Derek Lewis? Now, I understand they want to do Derek Lewis versus Curtis Blades. I was saying it before, man. I don't want to see that fight. I'd rather see Overeem versus Derek Lewis. They obviously don't like each other. And it's a more favorable, interesting matchup where it would stay on the feet a little bit more and it would complement uh, Derek Lewis's exciting brawling style. Blades is going to do what he does to Lewis. And I think a lot of people understand that Blades will probably win that fight. But Overeem might do the same, man. Overeem is a better wrestler than he was ever before. He's completely changed his style. And no matter where he changes it, from Ubering to economical Overeem to now Alistair Overkamadov. No matter what style he goes to, he's always effective. Just shows his skill in the game, man. He's so well-rounded. No matter where he changes his style, he's always going to be a threat. And that's something so rare in combat sports. Like, you never see fighters change their style so often and still be one of the best fighters in the division. But yes, he would have to fight someone like Derek Lewis. He would have to fight someone like Alexander Volkov or JDS Rematch. Or Jarzina Rosenstrike in a rematch. Any of those fights make perfect sense. If he wants to get to a title shot, he can fight Jarzina Rosenstrike, who doesn't have an opponent, and he's the number three contender. Or he can wait until the winner of Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. Because it seems like Stipe and Nganu is not going to happen anytime soon. How does Overeem versus Miocic 2 play out? I think it's worse for Overeem. Overeem is not going to wrestle with Miocic. 
That's not going to happen. He's going to strike a bit with Miocic, but I just don't see him getting past the boxing. I really don't. He still has a defensive irresponsibility that he had in the first fight. He still does the same kind of things. He doesn't pick up his hands as much, especially when he's attacking. If Stipe Miocic counters anything Overeem does, it's probably going to be over. And Miocic is just getting better, while Overeem is just changing his style. And the style he has changed it to is not necessarily what's going to defeat Miocic. Right, Overeem throws these wild punches now, big looping haymakers, sometimes telegraph kicks, and nothing is set up that much anymore. And not even his takedowns, to be honest. And you need setups to attack Miocic. Look at Nganu. Nganu set nothing up against Miocic, and he was never able to really connect on him that cleanly. Same thing would probably happen with Overeem in the rematch. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast, and if you did, make sure to like, and make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you're listening to the audio version of this. And I'll see you guys in tomorrow's prediction video.